0: I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. In today's episode, I'm going to explain the basics of an extremely common problem that affects aging brains, but that many people have never heard of. It goes by many names, I'm going to list them in a bit, but right now, perhaps the best term to use is cerebral small vessel disease. So cerebral means brain or related to the brain, and then small vessel disease refers to problems with the very small blood vessels in the body. So we're talking about a problem with those teensy blood vessels that nourish your brain cells. As you may know, the way all the cells in the body get oxygen and nutrients is that you have this network of blood vessels that starts off with very big blood vessels that exit your heart, and those vessels get progressively smaller and smaller and smaller so that they can get to every cell. So this is a condition affecting blood vessels that are much smaller than the ones that are involved in a more typical stroke. And it's actually quite common for older adults to have injuries to these little blood vessels. And the reason why we know this is because we see it on MRI and sometimes on CT scans. So on those scans of the brain that people will get either because they've had an injury and we want to scan their brains to make sure they're okay, or sometimes because we scan people's heads and brains if they're having concerning symptoms and we want to see what might be going on in the brain. So I do have an article on the site about this topic, so pretty much everything I say will be in the article that you can refer to later, and I wrote this article earlier this year in part because it came up when I was doing a live webinar about falls, and during that event, I mentioned that an older person's balance and walking problems might well be related to the presence of this small vessel damage uh, that is so common in the brain. And this generated an immediate flurry of follow-up questions from the audience. And I realized that this phenomenon, which is so familiar to doctors because we see it mentioned in the brain scan reports of so many of our older patients, this phenomenon that's so familiar to us was actually barely being explained to regular people. And, um, and later in this episode, I'll share a few thoughts on why this is. So do you need to know about cerebral small vessel disease? Well... Again, it's common. One study of older adults aged 60 to 90 found that 95% of them showed at least mild changes of this type on their MRI. Some of them had moderate changes and some of them had pretty severe. In other words, if your older parent ever gets a scan of the head or brain, or if you yourself are older and get one, chances are pretty good that this might be mentioned in the report and i would like for you to understand a little bit more about what this means also as i'm going to explain in a bit in this episode this condition is related to many health issues of significance to older people so i mentioned walking and balance also has been linked to brain function to memory and thinking and to some other issues that are important so i think it's worth knowing about now Back in the day, patients and families didn't often get to see their radiology reports. They just relied on their doctors to tell them what was found. And doctors often did not mention this to patients, uh, partly because it was so common and it was kind of thought of as a um, one of those things that happens when you get older. And it's true. It is very common for this to happen as people get older. But times are changing, so it's becoming more common for people and families to see their reports. And as you may know, I'm actually a big fan of people keeping copies of their own results in a personal health record, which is something that we discussed in episode seven. So since this is such a common finding and is related to many problems that you might be concerned about now or in the future, I want you to understand more about this and what it might mean. So in this episode here is in particular what I'm going to cover. So first, I'm going to cover the common synonyms for this condition. It's important because it's something that is primarily identified through radiology. And over the years, uh, radiologists and then also medical experts, when they write in the scholarly literature, have used several different terms, so we're gonna cover a bunch of those. And then I'm gonna explain what I feel all older adults and families should know about this very common condition related to brain health and aging. And specifically, I'll address the following questions. One, what is cerebral small vessel disease? Two, what are the symptoms of this condition or what are symptoms that are related to this condition? Because as I'll explain, many people who have this may actually not have any symptoms at first or for quite a while. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about what causes it or what's thought to cause it. I'll explain what's known about how it can be treated and prevented. And then I'll address the question of should you request a brain scan, such as an MRI or CT, if you're concerned about cerebral small vessel disease. And I'll also address what you can do if you're concerned about this for yourself or an older loved one. Let's start with the terms for this condition. For the article on the podcast, I settled on cerebral small vessel disease because when I reviewed the articles, it seemed to me that that's where the experts in this condition who are mostly neurologists, that that seems to be the term that they're converging on. But again, in terms of describing this early on, it was radiologists, not neurologists who are describing it because they would see it on... The brain scan of older adults, and so the other terms that have been used are one small vessel ischemic disease. Another one is white matter disease. That's because when we look at brain scans, the the brain shows up as whitish grayish, and it's really reflecting the coating, which is called myelin on nerve cells. It's kind of the insulation that helps them work well. And so when the nerve cell is injured, the coating uh, gets injured and. Um, it actually shows as little sort of dots or spots or sometimes streaks on what's known as the white matter of the brain. And those dots and streaks are actually whiter than usual on MRI. I have a picture showing this on the article, which I may be able to insert directly into the show notes, we'll see. And so if you wanna see what that looks like, take a look at that. And uh, so white matter disease is another term that's been used. Um, Radiologists often will also report periventricular white matter changes. And if you look at a brain scan, there are kind of two sort of slits in a way. They're slightly crescent shaped right in the middle of the brain. And brain scan images are a cross section. So it's a little bit as if the head has been sliced. Let me see. If you're standing up, it would be sliced horizontally. And so then the image will show the cross section of what you would see right that way. Not quite sure if that if I've explained that well, but when you look at the cross-section in many slices of the brain, you see the ventricles. They're this space that you have deep in the brain. They show up as black because you don't have tissue there. And the reason why this is called periventricular white matter changes is because often the first changes and signs of injury that are seen are right next to those ventricles. So deep in the brain. Uh, Other terms, we have perivascular, chronic, ischemic, white matter, disease of aging. And somebody at one point asked, well, you know, what does the chronic part mean? So chronic means that they think it's been there for a while and it's not changing as opposed to acute. And again, you know, when people's brains are being scanned, it's sometimes because there's concern that they may have just recently had a stroke or a bleed. So that would be an acute finding, a new bleed or new injury. Whereas when radiologists describe this, they say, well, we're seeing kind of chronic little signs of damage. Another term would be white matter hyperintensities. And that's again, because these spots on the brain scan look whiter than usual, which you'll see if you take a look at the picture. Then we have age-related white matter changes. And uh, lastly, a sort of bizarre term called leukoaraiosis. That's in some of the older articles about this. So, You know, a lot of the descriptors are, again, um, they come from radiology and they're kind of related to the, the visual appearance of this, whereas the sort of newer term cerebral small vessel disease is a term that refers to more what we think is causing those changes in the image, which is to say changes and damages to those teensy blood vessels that are deep in everybody's brain. So moving on, what exactly is cerebral small vessel disease? So an important thing to keep in mind is that this term is really an umbrella term. So that means that it's a kind of descriptive term that covers a variety of uh, more specific abnormalities related to small blood vessels in the brain. So a little bit like the term heart disease might encompass a variety of sort of subsets of things that damage the heart or impair its function. Then cerebral small vessel disease, there are many different ways that those little blood vessels might be injured and they're all kind of covered by that umbrella term of small vessel disease of the brain or cerebral small vessel disease. There are a couple different ways that experts and people who research this are kind of subdividing it. So one way that is described in a recent medical review article is that they say that some specific examples include lacunar infarcts. So that's a type of small stroke white matter hyperintensities, so that's again a radiological finding, that's when you see sort of bright white spots on the scan, and then cerebral microbleeds, which means bleeding in the brain from very small blood vessels. Now, the experts in this will get extremely detailed about classifying the types of injuries that they see, but, you know, overall, In many cases, cerebral small vessel disease seems to be a result of atherosclerosis affecting the smaller blood vessels that nourish brain tissue. So atherosclerosis is that process where the blood vessels, which are everywhere in the body, sort of develop, you know, kind of um, gunk, you could say, on the inside. So just as if you sort of envision Uh, your house or a new sink that at the beginning, the plumbing is all like clean and clear and everything flows through really well. And over time, things may, you know, build up a bit on the inside. It might be related to things in the water or maybe the material of the pipe itself gets a little bit, um, you know, ages in a way, you know, uh, changes because of exposure to the air or just to the constant force of the things going through it. Well, that's a little bit similar to what happens inside your blood vessels. And it's certainly related to what kinds of uh, chronic illnesses or conditions you might have and to lifestyle factors. So just as we know that the things that people eat and whether they have high blood sugar and whether they have chronic inflammation, whether they're stressed and, and all these other factors, just as we know that that ends up affecting the little arteries around the heart which are very important in terms of your heart function. And when those have problems, then you can get things like heart attacks. Just like that affects the little vessels around the heart, it also affects the little vessels in the brain. And then from that kind of chronic damage, small vessels in the brain, you know, either they can get blocked, um, and so that starves brain cells of oxygen, and we call that technically ischemia, or they can leak which causes bleeding, or sometimes it's called a microbleed, because it's so small, so, so so much smaller than what you would see in what we classically consider a stroke. And so when little bits of brain get damaged in these ways, they change appearance on radiological scans. And so when an MRI report says white matter changes, this means the radiologist is seeing signs of cerebral SVD. But that doesn't mean that we know exactly what caused it because there are a variety of things that can stress or injure your larger blood vessels and very small blood vessels throughout the body, including in the brain. One thing that is important is that usually the radiologist will qualify the white matter changes that he sees. And the way they do this is that they usually describe it as mild, moderate, or severe. Sometimes for severe, they might also use a word like extensive. So mild means they just see a few little spots In the brain, moderate means they see kind of a medium amount and then severe means they see a lot of it in many parts of the brain. So now what you're probably wondering is, well, what are the symptoms of this condition? And the severity of symptoms tends to correspond to whether again, it's mild, moderate or severe. Now what's interesting about the brain is that um, you have a lot, a lot of brain cells in the brain And uh, they work together, and they're actually able to kind of help each other out and compensate when especially very small parts are injured. So it turns out that many people who have signs of cerebral small vessel disease on their scan will have no noticeable symptoms. And this is sometimes called silent small vessel disease. On the other hand, many problems have been associated with cerebral small vessel disease, especially when it's moderate or severe. And I think the whether or not one ends up with problems depends on a few things. One is, again, just the sheer amount of it. So as I said, your brain cells are able to work together and help each other out, and they can often compensate for some brain cells that are damaged. But if a lot of brain cells are damaged, then it becomes harder to compensate. So that's one factor in symptoms. And then the other is like, where exactly is that little injury? And there are some parts of the brain that, um, you know, sort of function as switches that do important things for other brain cells. And those spots can be actually fairly small. So if you get an injury in one of those like crucial switching areas, you may be more likely to have, um, symptoms. Whereas if the injury happens in another area where there are a bunch of cells that are working together on the same thing, then an injury to a small part of the brain there may not as easily cause symptoms. So Let me not tell you about the symptoms that have been associated with cerebral small vessel disease. First is cognitive impairment. So problems with memory or thinking skills or any other kind of um, thinking process that the brain is involved in. A number of studies have found that the more cerebral small vessel disease you show on a scan, the more likely you are to have a poor score on an office-based cognitive test, such as the mini mental state exam. And in fact, it seems pretty clear that the form of dementia, which is known as vascular dementia, uh, which means that you have uh, chronic memory or thinking problems that are bad enough to be significant, and they're due to little injuries to the uh, blood vessels. So vascular dementia is kind of a consequence of having moderate or severe small vessel disease. Again, it depends exactly where those injuries are, whether you're going to have just, you know, very mild symptoms or maybe even no noticeable symptoms versus having quite significant ones where your thinking abilities and memory are noticeably off. And there is a term now that the experts in dementia and neurology are starting to use, which is that if we think the main driver of the problems with thinking skills is due to small vessel disease, And vascular injuries, instead of due to a degenerative process such as Alzheimer's, we call this vascular cognitive impairment. Another type of problem that is associated with cerebral small vessel disease is problems with walking and balance. So here again, studies have shown that people who have lots of these spots, these white matter lesions on their scans are much more likely to be having difficulty managing their walking or their mobility. And again, that's because brain cells are an important part of coordinating the way you manage your balance and the movement of your legs. And so when there's damage up there in the brain, it can easily have an effect on something like walking in balance, which requires a lot of uh, input from the brain to coordinate properly. Another thing that's been associated with this condition is strokes. And so by that, I mean sort of more major significant strokes, what we classically think of as strokes, where people might either suddenly develop quite noticeable changes in their ability to think or speak or recognize faces, or, you know, they're like large parts of, um, when you have a sort of larger injury to the brain, you can have a very noticeable problem in managing something. Or, you know, also very classically with a stroke is, Becoming uh, unable to use an arm or a leg or 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 becoming much weaker or less able on one side of the body. So um, studies have found that having those white matter changes is associated with an increase in your future risk of stroke. And that makes sense when you think about it because again, your smallest blood vessels are being uh, injured by processes that are also probably affecting your bigger blood vessels. And so you could say that those small changes are in a way, you know, the canary in the coal mine, that if your little blood vessels are showing signs of injury, you are at risk of having cardiovascular disease elsewhere in the body, including in the big blood vessels and an injury to a big blood vessel that feeds the brain is what causes a major stroke. Now, the next problem is something that that might be a little bit more surprising to you. And it's interesting so another problem that has been linked to the cerebral small vessel disease is depression. So they have found that people who have more of these white matter changes do have a higher risk of depression. And it's, it's something that's being explored right now at the sort of basic science uh, and neuroscience level. But um, there's a hypothesis that these white matter changes may be an important contributor to depression in people who have never had depression until they got older. Which we call first time late life depression. And now for another problem, also associated with cerebral small vessel disease. Just a little while ago, I mentioned that these small vessel changes are associated with what we call vascular cognitive impairment, which, if it gets to be significant enough, would be vascular dementia. But it also turns out that having cerebral small vessel disease also seems to be associated with an increased risk or increase severity of other forms of dementia, such as Alzheimer's disease. So as you may know, the only way to confirm for sure, for sure that somebody had Alzheimer's disease in the brain, so had those plaques and tangles, which are signs of the way that Alzheimer's in particular changes brain cells, the only way to know for sure is to do an autopsy after the person has died. And so autopsy studies have found that many people who are older and have dementia When you examine the brain tissue, they both have signs of actual Alzheimer's, so the plaques and tangles, and also cerebral small vessel disease. So quite common for people to have both of them, and it's possible that when you have both of them, you do worse than you would if you had just one. And then last thing that I'll mention, a problem associated with cerebral small vessel disease, especially when it's moderate or severe, is a transition to disability and even death. So there was a study done of 639 non-disabled older people. They scanned their brains and kind of observed how much cerebral small vessel disease they had because, as I mentioned, almost everybody has some. And they found that, that over the following three years, 30% of the people who had severe white matter changes developed disabilities or died whereas for the people who had just mild white matter changes, only 10% of them developed a significant disability or died over three years. So based on this research, they concluded that the severity of cerebral small vessel disease is an important risk factor for overall decline in older adults. So what does this all mean in terms of symptoms and cerebral small vessel disease? Um, here's how I put it all together. So basically, if you take an older adult who has any of the problems I just mentioned. So an older adult who's having memory or thinking problems or who's having difficulty walking with walking or balance or who's had a stroke or maybe even who has depression, if you take one of those older adults and you scan their head, they have a very high probability of having cerebral small vessel disease. And that's for two reasons. One is just about every older adult has you know, some probability of having it. The older they are, the greater the probability. And then two... We know that these problems are linked to that, so anyone with those problems will have a higher chance of showing those changes on brain scan. That said, many older adults who have cerebral small vessel disease have no symptoms and they don't notice any difficulties. And this is especially true for older adults who have mild cerebral small vessel disease. So, what we want to keep in mind is that if an older person has cerebral small vessel disease, especially if it's moderate or worse, they have a high risk of developing these problems such as cognitive impairment and maybe balance and walking problems and possibly depression. So this means that we might wanna be uh, sort of more alert to the possibility that they might develop this and, and keep an eye out for it. Whereas if you take somebody who is 85 and for some reason they get a head scan and they have no signs of it at all, that's very encouraging. That means that uh, that doesn't mean that they won't develop something such as Alzheimer's over the following 10 years because Alzheimer's does not show up on an MRI, but that still means that they have a uh, less, they're less likely to develop those problems over the following years. So, and again, I mentioned before the canary in the coal mine, you know, I think of these signs as being kind of a, a warning sign a warning sign that the brain's small blood vessels are experiencing injury and that we should expect that uh, those little injuries will continue and that we should perhaps also consider taking steps to see if we can reduce the risk of further injury. And in a bit, we're going to talk more about what the options are for that. So, but before that, you know, in order to know how to intervene, we have to know a little bit more about what is causing the problem. So what causes cerebral small vessel disease? Experts are still debating this. It seems clear that in many people, it's a combination of several risk factors, which I'll tell you about in a moment. And then in some people, it might be related to a particular disorder or problem. We have identified several other conditions and risk factors that are associated with it. And so in somebody who has cerebral small vessel disease, it may be due to one or more of those risk factors. And these are problems such as high blood pressure, which, as you may know, puts constant chronic strain on the inside of your blood vessels, and that creates kind of wear and tear and damage and possibly inflammation. Another one would be high cholesterol, which is also associated with developing buildup and inflammation on the inside of blood vessels. Another one would be diabetes. Higher blood sugar also puts a stress on the body's tissues and then smoking, uh, which also strains the body's tissues. So those are risk factors that are classic for stroke. And another risk factor is also age, because as people age, things you know both can wear down a little bit. And also at a certain point, people may develop a little bit of low-level chronic inflammation that has been associated with aging. So all those things which are risk factors for stroke are also risk factors for cerebral small vessel disease. And again, it's that idea that whatever is going to be harmful or damage or wear down your bigger blood vessels will also be likely to be doing that to your small blood vessels. And then there are a couple other conditions that have been associated with it as well. There's something called cerebral amyloid angiopathy, which seems more specific to small blood vessels. And there are some other conditions that again, seem related to uh, especially smaller blood vessels developing some dysfunction or damage on their inner lining. So in short, I would say that um, cerebral small vessel disease, you know, if somebody has it, if they're older, it's probably a combination of a lot of those risk factors for vascular disease plus aging wear and tear that have combined to it. And then when I wrote the article, I actually initially got a lot, a lot of comments from people who were younger and had this condition. So this condition is known to occur in younger people. It's just less common. For those who are interested in learning more about this in people who are younger, in the main article at the end of it, I have links to a couple scholarly articles that are available fully for free on the internet, and one of them was done in people who were aged 40 to 75. So in geriatrics, that certainly qualifies as young. And what they found is that they saw signs of this cerebral small vessel disease in 3% of people who were in their 40s, people aged 40 to 49. So what we know is that when we have conditions that are especially common in older people, and they show up in somebody who is younger, in a younger person, it's more likely to be due to one or two specific things that are going on with that person. Now, we do have some people who are in their 40s who have lots of risk factors for cardiovascular disease. There are people who, especially if they are obese, who have had high blood pressure and high cholesterol since their teens and maybe smoke and maybe have diabetes. And so you can be somebody who is in their 40s and you've just already accumulated all that stress and damage from those chronic illnesses. But in other cases, people may have an autoimmune disease or another specific condition that specifically creates some inflammation and stress on the small vessels. So let me move on now to the question of how can cerebral small vessel disease be treated or prevented? So experts are still trying to sort this out. There's a lot of research going on. But first and foremost, the logical thing to do is to try to identify and manage and minimize those cardiovascular risk factors. So again, identifying and managing high blood pressure, high cholesterol, avoiding smoking, properly managing blood sugar. And bear in mind that for all of those, we do have medications that help. And we know that certain lifestyle changes, especially increasing uh, one's amount of exercise, losing weight, and changing one's diet can be powerful ways to do this too. And what's good about doing this is that this will also reduce one's risk for other significant cardiovascular problems, such as a major stroke or heart disease. Now, how well does this work? So far, some of the things that have been studied, they have studied treating high blood pressure to see if it prevents the progression of white matter changes, but the studies have shown mixed results. And What it kind of seems when you, you know, for people who have looked at several studies is that it seems that treating high blood pressure can slow the progression of those white matter changes, but it seems to mostly work when people are younger or don't already have severe cerebral small vessel disease. So it's not clear that it works after people have reached aged 80. And certainly if they already have severe small vessel disease, it's not clear that it works. And this would be in line with some other research that has been done treating high blood pressure in people who have vascular dementia. And generally, it's found that it doesn't make much of a difference. And this may be because at that point, it's just too late. At the point where someone has developed dementia symptoms, usually they have pretty significant damage throughout the brain to those small vessels and to brain cells. And so at that point, even if you lower their blood pressure, it's just it's too late to make a meaningful difference. So as far as we can tell, your best bet for preventing or slowing down cerebral small vessel disease may be to properly treat high blood pressure and perhaps other risk factors before you're age 80. Probably the earlier in life you do it, the better, and certainly before you develop significant small vessel disease. Furthermore, experts don't yet agree on how low to go when it comes to optimal blood pressure for an older person with cerebral small vessel disease. For now, my own practice is that when it comes to the prevention of the occurrence or progression of cerebral small vessel disease, I basically just use the same method that I would use for treating high blood pressure and other cardiovascular risk factors in an old person. So the guidelines for older adults, as you may know, are to treat to a systolic blood pressure of initially to aim for less than 150 because you get the biggest bang for the buck by helping people come down. From a systolic blood pressure, that's the top number of, you know, people are often, if they're not treated and they're older in the 170s or 80s, some of them, getting them down to the 140s is where you get the biggest benefit. And then you may get a little bit of extra benefit by pushing it down lower. If you want to learn more about that, I will put some links in the show notes to my articles explaining the pros and cons of intensive blood pressure treatment in older adults, and it's also something that we covered in a previous podcast episode, which was episode 18. Now that you've learned all about cerebral small vessel disease, which I sometimes say is the most common aging brain problem that almost nobody has heard about, you may be wondering, oh my gosh, could, could I have this, or could my older parent have this, and should I request an MRI to make sure And my answer to that is not necessarily, and honestly, probably not. And here's why. So first of all, I strongly believe that you only want to get a test if the result is going to change what you were going to do in terms of the health plan. So older adults should get MRIs of the brain for basically two reasons. One, they're experiencing worrisome clinical symptoms. And then two, the results of the MRI are needed to decide on how to treat. The person. And the thing about cerebral small vessel disease is that even though when we see that on MRI, I think it's useful information in terms of thinking about what to potentially anticipate for the person's future or what might be a contributor to any memory problems or walking problems or falls that they've been experiencing, even though that's kind of useful, I find that it doesn't change that much what we're going to do. If an older person has high blood pressure, we should consider treatments we should consider treatment because we know that treating high blood pressure in older adults does reduce the risk of stroke, of um, heart disease, of other cardiovascular events. And so it's worth doing, especially to get down to that initial level of a systolic under 150. And then we can discuss the pros and cons, whether it makes sense to, to try to get it a little lower or not. And then let's say a person is having difficulty with walking or mobility or falls. Just because we see signs of cerebral small vessel disease on their scan doesn't mean that we don't have to continue to evaluate for falls carefully. We still want to consider the possibility that they might have low leg strength, which could be treated with physical therapy and balance, balance problems, whether or not they are due to those injuries to your small blood vessels in the brain. Balance can still improve with physical therapy because physical therapy helps retrain the rest of your brain and the rest of your body. We still want to also be looking into medication side effects and so forth. And then what if you're concerned about memory or thinking or the possibility of dementia? Well, an MRI cannot tell you if the cognitive changes that you're observing are due only to small vessel injuries versus small vessel injuries plus the development of Alzheimer's disease or Lewy body dementia or something else that is changing and damaging the brain cells from within. So we still need to do that evaluation. We also know that no matter what actually damaged the brain, people's memory and thinking is often made worse by other factors that we might be able to improve, such as again, medication side effects, vitamin B12 deficiency, sometimes thyroid dysfunctions and other issues. So no matter what that MRI shows, I'm not going to end up changing that much the way that I evaluate the person and what I recommend to optimize their health, their well being, their memory, their mobility, and their balance. So I feel that a brain MRI just to check for cerebral small vessel disease is not such a good idea. That said, people do often get MRIs for other reasons. And so if one is done and you find out that an older person has mild, moderate, or severe signs of cerebral small vessel disease, that is information that you can use. So I would say don't panic about it, but that is information that you can use. And especially if the cerebral small vessel disease is moderate or severe, then you may want to consider taking steps to reduce stroke risk and also to monitor for cognitive changes and increase disability. And so in the introduction for this episode, I mentioned that doctors often don't even mention this finding to patients. And I think part of the reason why that is, is because it's been perceived as something that doesn't necessarily change what you are going to do. A person should still have their high blood pressure and other stroke risk factors managed in part as a function of how their health is overall and what the goals are for their medical care. For somebody who might be quite old, let's say they're in their 90s, already has dementia, maybe is already living in a facility and you find out that they have moderate or severe cerebral small vessel disease, do you change what you're doing to help them? Probably not. You should treat their blood pressure based on other factors, including how much longer you expect that they're likely to live and how difficult or burdensome it is for them to be on blood pressure treatment. Let me now finish with uh, some tips on what you can do if you're worried about cerebral small vessel disease. If you're worried about this for yourself or for an older relative, here are a few things you can do. First and foremost, talk to your doctor about your concerns. And it's generally a good idea to discuss your options for optimizing your vascular risk factors, including high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high blood sugar, smoking, and others. You can also ask the doctor if they think that you have any other particular health condition that might have contributed to this, and if so, what would be your options for treating and managing that? And again, it's especially useful to do this earlier in life, earlier meaning when you're in your 50s, 60s, maybe 70s, and it's not clear that it helps as much after people are older, such as in their 80s or 90s. My next tip would be to remember to consider the non-drug options for managing those risk factors, such as exercise, a healthy diet, good sleep, stress reduction, right? We know that stress actually increases stress hormones in the body and that that creates more inflammation and wear on the body. Often it is necessary to take medication to manage high blood pressure, sometimes also to manage cholesterol. But don't forget that many of these other sort of lifestyle approaches will help manage that, that risk for cerebral small vessel disease and usually will help you feel better and live better as well. So don't forget to to consider those. And then lastly, if an MRI of the brain is clinically indicated or if one has recently been done, ask the doctor to help you understand how the findings might correspond to any worrisome symptoms that you've noticed. But if you've been worried about memory or thinking, or if you've been worried about falls, remember that such problems are almost always multifactorial, many factors contributing, and you should not assume that it's just cerebral small vessel disease that has caused it. And, and I hope the doctor won't assume that it's just cerebral small vessel disease. Also, it's important to still check carefully for all those other factors that we know are either part of the cause or are making things worse. And so there you have it. Now you know about cerebral small vessel disease, a common problem that shows up on the MRIs of most older adults and that I consider a bit of a canary in the coal mine. You can make a note of it if it turns up in your records, but don't panic about it. And I would say most of the time it's not worth getting too, too hung up on it because there are lots of other ways to help an older person optimize their thinking or their balance or their mobility or their quality of life and otherwise live the best life that they can with the best health that they can at their age. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in the episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show on iTunes. And I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Carneson, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.